Mayo Clinic Radio presents a conversation on lung cancer with lung cancer specialist Dr. Eric Adell. The show hosts are Dr. Tom Shives and Tracy McRae. This podcast was recorded on February 17th, 2016. Welcome back to Mayo Clinic Radio. I'm Dr. Tom Shives. And I'm Tracy McRae. According to the American Cancer Society, by the end of this year, about 225,000, that's close to a quarter of a million new cases of lung cancer will be diagnosed in this country. The ACS also estimates that about 160,000 people will die from lung cancer this year. Lung cancer continues to be the leading cause of cancer death among both men and women in the U.S. It claims, believe it or not, Tracy, it claims more lives than cancer. The colon, the breast, the prostate, and the ovaries combined. 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 Now, that seems like an awful lot of new cases of lung cancer, especially when one of the major risk factors, tobacco use, seems to be declining. We wondered, what's going on? Do cigarette smokers still make up the vast majority of those who get lung cancer? Or are there other causes that are contributing to these high numbers? Here with answers to these questions and an update on lung cancer diagnosis and treatment is Dr. Eric Adell. Dr. Adell is a pulmonary, a lung, and a critical care medicine specialist at Mayo Clinic. Welcome to the program, Dr. Adell. Nice to see you. Thank you, Dr. Shives. So, still number one on the list of cancers that kill both men and women. It is. It is. But people think it's just a smoker's problem. It obviously is not just a smoker's problem. No, it's not, but there's also a tail. We're seeing smoking rates drop, but there's still an awful lot of previous smokers that are there. Secondhand smoking is also not one that we measure and we include in that category because people say they're never smoker, but we don't have accurate information about the passive smoking exposure as well. I thought if you had quit smoking 15 or more years ago that your lung cancer risk was essentially the same as the general population. Good question, wrong. Once you have a significant smoking history, sorry, Tom. Once you have a significant most smoking history, that risk never goes completely away. It does drop off, but it never goes completely away. Smoking itself causes an injury to the lining of the lungs and changes our genetic a little bit. So that repair, that injury, is constantly there, just like the chronic, chronic bronchitis, the emphysema that comes from smoking. The body tries to adjust to it, but it's always there with us. So the risk is what, uh, two or three times the general population, the people who have never smoked? Smokers? Yeah. It's up to Previous nine times. Smokers? Previous uh, smokers drops probably two to three times, yes. All right. If and you've quit. Yeah. Mo- more men than, than women, is that simply because of more men smokers than women? Yes, but women are catching up just like they are in everything else. And why is that? Why are women smoking? Uh, probably the guys. Really? The, the guys ner- they hang out with are smoking? No, we're ca- we, we cause the nervousness that leads to them smoking. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, there's probably uh, some literature on uh, the smoking rates of uh, females, why that is, but I think it's, it's, a, it's availability. It's, it's they're part of the society as, as much as they now, more than ever before. Uh, in the past, they probably were smoking more, maybe didn't admit to it, but the rates of women smoking is going up a little bit even more than what we, we can attribute to just, I mean, lung cancer is going up a little bit more than we contribute to just the smoking. Whether that's, again, passive smoking or some other event going on, we don't know. But more women, non-smokers, are having cancer that we're seeing, too. Let's talk about lung cancers. Is one lung cancer just the same as another? Are there different 
different kinds of lung cancer? That's a good question. It's, they've kept this simple for simple minds like this Kansas boy. <laughs> there, we classify the primary types of lung cancer into small cell and non-small cell. The vast majority of cancers that we see are non-small cell. And within that category, there are two primary cell types, squamous cell carcinoma and adenocarcinoma. When I started this job, uh, I won't say how long ago, a few years back. <laughs> it almost did. <laughs> the, 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 the vast majority of cancers were squamous cell cancer. Now it's flipped. It was like 60% were squamous cell, 20 to 30% adeno. Now it's flipped. 50 to 60% are adenocarcinoma, and 20% or less are squamous cell carcinoma. Small cell carcinoma is also smoking-related lung cancer, but it's a small portion, and it's more of a systemic disease. We don't manage it with surgery. What do you mean systemic? It, by the time we diagnose small cell, we think it's throughout the, the body. It's in the lymph nodes. It's spread to the liver. We may not identify it, but we know we can't manage even a little nodule of its small cell. We still treat that with chemotherapy because we feel that it's passing throughout the body, not just localized. So small cell is, in the world of what's worse, small cell is worse than non-small cell? It depends upon the stage that we diagnose it. There's been tremendous advances for small cell in treatment options. Again, when I started, small cell, you the average survival was measured in months. Mm-hmm. We're now measuring survival even for later stage small cell in years because of the advances in treatment. So it does make a difference what kind of cancer you have, and and you need a biopsy to figure that out. I mean, you can't tell that by the imaging, the CT or the MRI. Not only can we not tell by the imaging what type you have, we can't tell that you have it. One of the errors that we make is we'll get, a, we'll get an x-ray, someone will say, that's cancer. You might biopsy the primary lesion, they'll do a PET scan, and they'll say, oh, you have cancer throughout. That needs to be biopsied as well to determine the stage. The most important thing that we can do is stage patients appropriately because that's the opportunity to not only give them the right treatment, but to also prognosticate and to help them with what they have. Tell us exactly what you mean by stage. Good question. If you look at the early, we have four stages of lung cancer. The earliest is stage one. Those are primarily managed with all measured by, uh, managed by surgery except small cell. Up to stage two and so, some. But that means it's just confined to the lung, nowhere else. That's right. Stage two has some peripheral lymph nodes. Stage three are lymph nodes in the middle of the chest. And stage four is outside the chest. Up to early stage three, we can still have some operation opportunities or options. Stage three, late stage three, and stage four is all managed by chemotherapy and radiation. So you mean operation options, surgical options, meaning you could potentially remove all of the disease. That's right. Uh, once it goes past, uh, once it gets to late stage, stage three or stage, if it's in yes. your liver or your brain That's or right. whatever, then there's unique situations where you can have solitary spread, solitary metastasis. That surgery may be an option. So just but those one, are rare. One spot. One spot. No place else. That's rare, though. Well, let's talk about the screening. How do you screen these patients to find out before you can stage them? You have to find that screening. Spot. Screening is really a. a, a, a an exciting part of lung cancer management now because in the old days we did screening trials and we never showed an effective alteration in the mortality you know you have to be careful about survival that's based upon the time of diagnosis and how people live but this was a randomized trial looking at ct scans compared to chest x-rays and they showed in this study that ct scan reduced the mortality by 20 percent that hasn't been shown in prostate cancer colon cancer or breast cancer to have that kind of reduction in mortality 
It's a population of smokers that they looked at between ages 55 and 75. And right now that's being paid for by most insurers in that population. Smokers, previous smokers, that age uh, are, are candidates for CT screening. It's a low dose, so the low radiation. Here at Mayo, we have a screening program. And we have a unique program where if you are a smoker, we will provide the CT scan as long as you come to smoking cessation and we get you into a program to try and help you quit smoke. CT is free? Uh, no. Oh, your insurance okay. will you pay said for it. You, yeah. All right. Well, right now, it, we have it so that if, if a person who's smoking, and I think that there's some rationale to this, if they're smoking and they want to get a screening study and they don't want to quit smoking, I mean, we want to help them with their health. And motivation. I, yeah. yeah. And have I, some motivation. Yeah. So that's a unique program that uh, we're actually hooking the two together. Doesn't so, mean absolutely, but that's what we're trying to do. So what you're saying is you have finally proven that doing screening CT scans is effective in reducing the, the number of people who die from lung cancer. That's right. Wow. Huge. Myth or matter of fact, Dr. Adele, some risk factors for lung cancer can be avoided or reduced while others cannot. Is that a myth or is that a fact? Fact. It's a fact. So what's the best thing? I'm, I'm sure quitting smoking is the best thing, but what else can people do to help? Oh, I thought that was quitting smoking. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's not that easy, Dr. Adele. Oh, it no, quitting smoking is not that easy. No, no, no. but I mean, uh, in terms of uh, answering the questions, you know, you really have to elaborate sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have Give a question. Give us a little more it's information. It's just like coming to the office, yeah. you know, black and white. <laughs> we are periscoping this interview, and one of our Periscope viewers has a question. They want to know what about marijuana smoking. Is marijuana smoking just as dangerous as tobacco smoking? Yes, probably it is. And as are electric cigarettes. We're finding out that whatever we can do to avoid inhaling things that hurt our lungs, it's a good idea. The Association of Marijuana Smoking with COPD and Lung Cancer has been softly shown. I mean, there's not huge studies for this, but yes, the answer would be for sure. We also know that marijuana smokers have a higher rate of smoking cigarettes. Mm. So anything, think about it. You, you know, in Beijing, right, China right now, China is a combination of exploding with tobacco as well as air pollution. They're looking at a major lung cancer epidemic. Mm. All right, so we've got on our list smoking number one, far and away. The, the, the biggest risk factor for getting lung cancer. Uh, you mentioned uh, marijuana. You mentioned uh, electronic uh, cigarettes. How about radon? If you look at the evidence for lung cancer in general, that's probably the second largest exposure that we know of that can cause cancers, and particularly lung cancer. The challenge with radon is how much? Where is it? Uh, it's very hard to get a quantifiable measure of what it takes to get uh, something like lung cancer, but it is on the list. Do you think it's important to have a radon detector in your home? Uh, if you're in an area where you know has a high rate of radon exposure, it's probably not a bad idea to check it out, particularly if you're having, if you've got houses where people are living in the basement where they could have the highest level of exposure, it's probably not a bad idea. Most areas, I think now, is part of, of the building code that you have radon mitigation already in the house. How do you ever prove that someone's lung cancer was caused by radon exposure? There's, there's no way to. So you're, everybody's sort of guessing when they say radon is the number two cause of lung cancer. Yeah, it's, it's based upon population studies where you have high radon and you might have a, a population of patients who weren't obvious smokers, so it's an association that they make. We were talking about screening before the break. Um, that's important because it used to be it's, it seems in my head at least that it was just oh someone you you get sick enough and then they discover the lung cancer finding the lung cancer when it's still treatable 
is the big big change in recent years. We make the, the most diagnosis from patients who have late-stage cancers. Mm. They come in because of symptoms. We're just now starting to see that if we do screen for them, we can have a major impact. But the vast majority of people who come to me are because of symptoms and they're late-stage cancers. Over 60% that I see in the office are late-stage cancers. So one of our Periscope viewers said one of those early detection, the, the early detection pieces is key. And what else is increasing? Just screening, that's it? Is that the only thing that's, in, that's helping in those early detection? I think it's an awareness of avoiding those known, those known uh, causes of cancer that's still the primary issue with trying to get this reduced. It's, you know, we talked about definite smokers having the risk. It's the secondhand smoke, too. You're living in a family, young people who might be watching this. You have smoking parents. Convince them they need to quit smoking for your health and theirs. It's, it's a major issue when we're living in a very tight, in the inner cities where you're living in small uh, areas, people are smoking. You're still concerned about secondhand smoke? Secondhand smoke is a big deal. I think a lot of our non-smokers, when, particularly when you look in the Far East, the rate of female lung cancer is rising significantly in Japan places. They're all secondhand smokers. A lot of the men were smoking and the women are getting the lung cancer. So now, finally, it used to be it really didn't matter when you found the cancer uh, in general. Uh, these patients were going to die. Now, not so much so, and you have proven that if you find it early, you've got some treatment that can actually save people's lives. What is it? What is it you've got now that you didn't have before? Well, from the standpoint of curing cancer or preventing it from causing harm long term, this word cure is a tough one because we're, well, hmm. we're all limited in our time on the, on the globe. But when you look at it, it's no different than early detecting of a breast cancer or a pre-breast can a lesion, a colon polyp. Uh, someone with a PSA that's going up, a skin cancer that might be picked up early. The earliest you find it, the better you can treat it surgically. We have new options for late-stage cancer that are exciting, but those aren't curative. Let's talk about some of those exciting options. Im immunotherapy is one of them? Yeah, let, I think what we, what we need to step back before we get to immunotherapy is to look now what we've done in cancer in general. We're, we're starting to define the, the genotype of our cancer. So breast cancer is an example of a cancer that used to be a killer within months to years. Now it's a chronic disease. Even for those that had a very short survival, we now have treatments that look at the genetic, I call them genetic switches. So a cancer has a switch, and they turn it on, and our body can't fight it. Now we know we can find that switch, turn it off, and our body can now take care of the cancer. Immunotherapy in particular is taking our immune system and re reminding it about some of the anti uh, immune system features of the cancer. So again, it's very directed at our immune system to fight the cancer directly. So we have targeted therapy, which turns off the switches of the cancer, and then immunotherapy, which and manipulates our system. Different treatments for different cancers. That's why individualized medicine is becoming so hot. And that's why it's important for you to know exactly what kind of cancer you're dealing with. Precisely. It used to be non-small cell cancer was enough. Now we need to know, is it squamous cell, adenocarcinoma, and in that adenocarcinoma group, does it have a mutation? Does it have a, a driver mutation for a targetable lesion, I mean, a targetable drug that we can use? Squamous cell cancer, that's the area right now where we're using the immunotherapy. You have a squamous cell cancer, immunotherapy has been shown to extend survival fairly significantly. Not cure, but extend survival. And these are for patients who aren't surgical candidates. That's right. In other words, they have late stage three or stage four disease. Precisely. But even for those patients with targeted therapy, you can significantly prolong their life, like you couldn't before. That's right. 
In fact, the ni- n- another nice thing about some of these targeted therapies and immunotherapy is you can use them in people whose performance status doesn't allow chemotherapy. So in other words, if someone is not is really bothered by their cancer and they could no, they could, there's no way they could take chemotherapy or they'd be even sicker, the immunotherapy or the targeted therapy in particular is much more tolerated. It's oral medication. When it comes to screening, um, that's an opportunity to find cancers that aren't affecting the overall health of the patient yet. That it hasn't made them sick enough yet. So are you finding false positives with some of those nodules? Is that happening? Great question. It is a significant issue and people need to be aware of that everybody almost is going to have a a false positive. We're going to have little shadows that we see and we're going to have to follow them. So it's just a nodule? Yeah, over in 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 the screening trial, the over 90 plus percent of the CTs were abnormal and 90 plus percent of those were benign lesions. So that creates a problem for you, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you have to decide, am I going to biopsy this or I'm going yeah. to watch it? And- I need to clarify, not 90 percent are abnormal. Over 90 percent of what we found was benign. So let me clarify. So the, yes, you have to follow these if you find a benign nodule to see whether they grow or change. That's why we have to do low-dose CT because they're going to have numerous CTs if we find a little shadow or a nodule that's suspicious. So in these patients who get multiple uh, follow-up CT scans, you're not concerned too much about that causing cancer? Not You're not concerned about too much radiation because it's a low dose? And it's later in life. If these were three-year-olds, six-year-olds, young people who are getting all these uh, radiographic exposures, then we'd worry, but not at our age. All right, Dr. Eric Adele, he's an expert on lung cancer, and he tells us you got to avoid smoking. Uh, radon, he doesn't like that. Number secondhand two, smoke, yes, too. Yes, secondhand smoke, marijuana, and electronic cigarettes. Dr. Adele, great to have you on the program. Thank Thanks you. for having me, Tom. For the latest in health and medical news, go to newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org.